You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast. It's been a pretty exciting week, and today we're going to be able to announce the winner of the Strongest Town Contest. Uh, but first, Chuck, let's check in. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? Uh, I'm pretty good. We've had this uh, ongoing water main break on our street over the last week, so that's been a bit of a saga. Lots of late night uh, drilling apart our street and our water not working but i think it's i think it's finally fixed today so luckily there's not a lot of background noise on this podcast well let's start by talking about your post today um you wrote a post about how you don't want to be called a smart growth advocate and this is something that happens to us a lot um i would say probably at least 50 percent of the time that someone mentions strong towns in a news article they also use the words smart growth uh chuck tell me about that well, it's a, it's a little bit of credit to the smart growth uh, people, too, because they, they've done a very good job of making their term kind of the ubiquitous way that reporters cover these things. You know, I, my frustration kind of boiled over because after numerous times of being called a smart growth advocate, I complained to my wife, who is a news reporter, and I said, why do you people do this? Why, why, you know, just dig like a tiny bit and you'll see that I nowhere call myself this. It's not on my site. You know, we've never used the term to describe us at Strong Tens. Why, why do you do this? And she goes, it's an easy, you know, it's, it's a term that people understand. Mm-hmm. And she goes, if you're not a smart growth advocate, what are you? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a strong towns advocate. And she goes, that doesn't mean anything to me because it's not a ubiquitous term. And I, I think that's a very fair point. You know, I, I tried to today in the post, um, in a friendly way, because I, I realize we have a lot of people in our audience who describe themselves as smart growth advocates. And there's a lot of reason why people who consider themselves smart growth advocates would also like the stuff that, that we're doing. But I, I tried to draw some distinctions and point out some reasons why I've never been enamored with the smart growth movement and never, uh, you know, kind of aligned myself with it. Uh, that being said, I, I realize we, we still have a ways to go. I mean, we, I don't know if you saw the, the monthly metrics from last month, but we ha- crossed the half million uh, audience member mark, which oh, is astounding. Awesome. Yeah, it's just a- amazing, especially since I remember the days when that was, you know, 2,000, <laughs> 5,000, you know, to be at half a million, it's a pretty incredible number. So we're, we're starting to get to the point where strong towns is a term that more and more people are using and actually uh, using to describe themselves and, and is becoming more a part of the vocabulary. I, I hope we can speed that up a little bit because I'm definitely not a smart growth advocate. And gosh, it just drives me crazy when reporters use that. Yeah. And I think uh, this contest has done a good job of getting the Strong Towns name out there a little bit and getting people talking about what a Strong Town actually means. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I'm interested, you know, you, you read that piece that I wrote. Um, you know, what was your reaction to that? You know, you, you, you I think maybe are, maybe would consider yourself sometimes more of a smart growth person than I would. I, I'm, I'm wondering what your take on that was. Yeah, the two points that you made that stood out to me, um, 
One is that by calling it smart growth, uh, we sort of are inferring that other types of growth are dumb. I thought that was a really insightful point, and I hadn't really thought about that before. Um, I'm guessing a lot of other people hadn't either. Um, but it's true. I mean, we're, we often make the statement here that there's like no right way to do things. There's no correct density for towns. There's no perfect number of transit lines for a town to have. Everybody needs to handle their problems differently. Um, and yeah, by, by saying like, oh, this is a smart way and this is a dumb way, um, that doesn't really fit with what we're about, I don't think. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I did point out in that article, you know, that really, I think the, the big insight that we had years ago was that auto-oriented development, suburban development is not, is not dumb. There's actually like a rational reason to do it. it, it you could call it short-sighted. You can call it responding to near-term incentives instead of long-term incentives. And I, I totally get that. But to say that it's dumb is, is just wrong. And I, I use the example of the payday loan. You know, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's, it would be wrong to say someone who uses payday loans is dumb. And because I don't use a payday loan, I'm smart. Um, you know, we just have different incentives. One is a, a, an incentive of desperation in a sense. And I don't have that desperation. So I don't use payday loans. That, that doesn't necessarily make me smart. Um, I, I do think a lot of our development approach today is based out of desperation. And while we don't maybe associate it like that, you know, there's only one reason why my city right now is spending 11 plus million dollars now running sewer and water out to the airport. It's because we're desperate for growth and we'll do anything that we possibly can to get the, 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 the off chance that we can someday experience a modicum of growth. It's the same mindset that leads you to take on a payday loan. You're very desperate and you're so desperate that you're not able to actually think through the long-term consequences of what you're doing. The, the, the solution to that is not to call it dumb. It's to actually address the situation that makes you so desperate. And in my city's case, it is this, you know, need to continue growing or your finances implode. Yeah. Which you addressed a fair amount in your, um, understanding, what did you call that? Understanding growth series? Yeah, the whole series yeah, yeah. on understanding growth, the, the Sedlicek conversation. Yeah, that yeah. was a tie-in. Um, the other thing that stood out to me, the other point that you made in this article about not being a smart growth advocate is that the smart growth movement is focused on like transportation modes and all these good things that we also support, but there's not as much a component of financial solvency, which is really core of what we do at Strong Towns. And so like to build a huge transit line that you have no way of paying for now or in 10 years uh, is not, that's, that's not going to fly with us at Strong Towns, even though it might fly with a smart growth advocate. Yeah, I was invited maybe like four years ago now, and, and I w I'll leave their name out of it because they were all very well-intentioned, but I, I was invited to meet with this group of people and they actually like flew me out to this place and sat me down and brought a whole bunch of people to this place and put me at the head of the table. And the gist of the conversation was, how do we talk like you? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we use your language to, to do our stuff? And as we went through it, what was very, very clear was that 
the key differentiator between what they wanted and what I was talking about was that for them, the, the financial part was a afterthought. It was the, the kind of justification that they were using. So they would say, you know, we want this big transit investment and we want this new kind of, you know, uh, higher density development and we want bike trails and, and pedestrian infrastructure. And oh, by the way, you know, it might work out better financially too. And I, I tried to say, you know, like, no, um, you, you know, you want financially solvent places. You want places that are going to function financially. And then, oh, by the way, you might actually find that you kind of like being able to walk to the store and you might actually be okay uh, living in a community with other people who, who, you know, you can have a social relationship with and you, you might not find it to be horrible to take a bus, you know, and yeah. to save money on your, your car expenses. So it, it's a, it, 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 I think they were looking at it as like a subtle, you know, a subtle little bit of language trickery that I had stumbled upon to when mm-hmm. in fact it was really like the core of who, you know, who I was, who this movement is. And I think that's what made it so difficult. Right. Yeah, I definitely recommend we've discussed several of the arguments in this piece, but I definitely recommend to our listeners to go read Chuck's piece on not being a smart growth advocate. It's, it's very well written. I'll take a minute to welcome our new members. We have several this week. Steve Book from Rockledge, Florida. Merritt Cornett from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Brandon Dayton from Salt Lake City, Utah. Jim Gherkin from Norwalk, Ohio. Chris Kozak from Chicago, Illinois. John Mallon from St. Joseph, Missouri. Ben Moomert from Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Jerry French from Niles, Mississippi. Uh, and Ryan Whaley from Sandusky, Ohio. Um, definitely a couple people in that list that have come to us through the Strongest Town Contest. I know Some Ryan Whaley. Final four, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he he was uh, even a representative from Sandusky. So welcome, you guys. Welcome, especially to people that participated in our contest. Well, and um, I, I I know yeah, right no. now because I've seen some of the the stats. I know that there's a lot of people listening right now from one of those final four places, and I know we're going to talk about it. But I I just I'm so happy with our final four and and what they represent and who they were. And uh, yeah, this is. What a, what a fun contest this has been, really. Yeah, I agree. And um, one thing I wanted to mention that we've had some members kind of ask us about or bring up is we definitely encourage you guys to go visit these places. Like every single town on that list of the, the first 16 seems like an excellent place to take a trip to, especially if you happen to be in the area or if they're near to your home. Uh, yeah, take a trip and see what they're about. I know I'm really curious to visit some of these places. Totally. Me too. In fact, uh, the, the final four, uh, I, I have not been to any of them and in, no, in my travel plans, I I've got all four of them on my list now. I'm in Holland, Michigan. I would love to see Sandusky just seems like a great place. Like I I really want to go there. And of course then, uh, Hoboken and Carlisle, the last two, um, I'm actually not ready to announce yet what's going to happen next week, but I'm, I'm certainly hoping that one, or, or more of those are, uh, are destinations. So yeah, they, they all seemed like just fantastic places with a lot of great stuff going on. Cool. So I think 
since this podcast is going to air after our official announcement, we can indeed announce the winner um, of the Strongest Town Contest, which is Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, congratulations to everyone from Carlisle. Um, this town really stood out to me, I think, hearing the members of this town who, who spoke to us, they really communicated the communal nature of this town and how people gather together for neighborhood events and support each other. It seems like they have a lot of really strong nonprofits doing good work in the area. So that to me was the thing that stood out most about Carlisle and seems like a really wonderful place as does Hoboken, of course. Yeah, I agree. You know, it was, it was fun last night cause I was in the office uh, working Sunday night and uh, that I, I, I generally do that. And so I'm, I'm sitting here and I looked down and it was 11 o'clock. It was midnight Eastern time. And I thought, Hey, this contest is over. And mm-hmm. I logged in and I saw, and when I saw that Carlisle was up just by a tiny bit, I mean, they barely, yeah, it was a very, was close, very close. Yeah. I thought, Oh, that's just beautiful. This is really beautiful. Um, I love Hoboken and the, 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 the descriptions, the conversations that we had, the podcast, the video, all that stuff with Hoboken was just fantastic. And, and I, I really think that if you were just measuring like a static, um, you know, snapshot in time, there's no question to me that Hoboken, you know, is, is the strongest town is one of the strongest places in, in this country that, that, you know, certainly of the 16 in the contest, but when you dig deeper and you look at like, what are the things that are going on? What are the actions that people are taking? Um, I was just infected with the Carlisle vibe, you know, just the, the, the idea of these people, you know, working very hard, uh, kind of doing what they can with what they've got, bootstrapping themselves by, by working together and focusing on the incremental and focusing on, you know, the, the people in their community. I was just really, really inspired by their story. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a model for cities all over the country to think about. Hoboken's a great place, but like I'm sitting here in Brainerd, Minnesota, and I can't really go to my city council and say, look, we should be more like Hoboken because <laughs> we're, we're, you know, we're never going to be a subway ride away from Manhattan. Uh, right. We, you know, there's, houses. Yeah. Like there's a whole bunch, but I can look at Carlisle and say, look, here's a place that's rather similar to us in many ways. That has a lot of the same struggles that we do. Um, look what they're doing. You know, look at the way their neighborhoods are uh, being mobilized to do great things and look at how that is incrementally being built upon. Um, I, I, th- I think it's a great role model for cities around the country. And I, I'm was just very inspired and enthused by the, the conversation going on there. Yeah, me too. I, um, I found myself forgetting that Carlisle was an East coast town. Uh, maybe that sounds weird, but like when they, when I was speaking with the the people from there and reading their stuff, to me, it just seemed like such a Midwestern town. And I'm sure that's my bias because I'm from the Midwest, but like, it seemed like this like homey place with like these n- nice neighborhoods and lots of great parks and the, the local car show and stuff. Uh, and then like when I look at the pictures, I'm like, oh, okay, wait, I forgot. This is in Pennsylvania. Like we, we still have these row houses and the city dates back to the Revolutionary War. So that was kind of, that was an interesting contrast to me. We did a thing a couple of years ago, Grayson and I, it, it just came out in one of the podcasts. Um, she suggested that we find um, 
a new place for a new place for me, a new place for Chuck. Oh, um, I remember that episode. That was great. Yeah, it was kind of fun. And it, it was fascinating to me because, I, you know, I've been all over the country. A lot of the entries that came in and that a lot of the places that were suggested were in Pennsylvania. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting because Pennsylvania does have at least at least parts of it. And I, I think Carlisle is certainly part of this has kind of a, a Midwestern vibe to it in terms of the, the people, but yet has a little bit of that historic um, built form, uh, you know, that, that we tend to kind of migrate towards as being a, a real good example of, you know, the, 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 the framework to build a, a strong physical, physically strong town on. So Pennsylvania has a, a lot of these places. Um, the, the one that someone recommended to me was Gettysburg, which I've been a couple of times. Oh, and it's yeah. funny because I've been there as a, as a tourist, you know, as someone going to this battlefield and stuff. And it, it never even occurred to me. And as soon as someone mentioned it, I'm like, Oh, that's so obvious. It's such a beautiful little city. It's such a beautiful little town. And mm-hmm. I could really see myself living there. Um, you know, Carlisle is near York. We did a curbside chat in York a few years ago. I thought York was fantastic. Um, Lancaster, Hershey, uh, a, a bunch of cities around the same size in the same area. Just absolutely beautiful and full of, you know, I, I think great potential. So yeah, this is a, a special part of the world. And I, I'm assuming that next year we'll have even more entries from the, uh, you know, the, 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 the Pennsylvania region. And I'm sure they'll all be really strong contestants. Yeah, we're definitely planning to host this contest next year. And um, on the announcement post on our website, I also put a little form at the bottom if you have any feedback for us, because this is the first year we're doing this. And I know there's some kinks to work out. So please share feedback with us if you have a moment to do that. Well, and I, uh, I, I have to say, before we move on from this, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've seen, obviously, this is the time of year for these kind of bracket tournaments. And I've, I've seen other places that have done them and, you know, they're, they're nice, but a, a lot of times they, you know, maybe don't focus on necessarily the positive aspects of, of things. I, I, I really felt good about this because I, I wanted to, and we talked about this as a team, wanting to highlight a lot of the good stuff that's going on. But, you know, I thought we would have, you know, maybe struggle to get 16 entries and, and maybe have, a few hundred, maybe a couple thousand votes throughout this whole tournament. Mm-hmm. We had over 30,000 votes in this tournament. And, you know, we had more than 16 really strong entries. And I, I just love the vibe, the, the fact that throughout the last three weeks, we've been focusing almost exclusively on th- these just fantastic things that people are doing to make their communities strong towns. And I, I'm sitting here today, you know, the first week of April, just feeling really positive and really optimistic about places in a way that, you know, I, I, I don't always. And so I wanted to thank you for the, the great work you've done on this and then thank everybody out there who participated and gave feedback and voted and, and was part of this. There's a, there's a lot of great things going on in this country and it's just fun to take a, a few weeks and focus on them. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's so easy when you're in your own town to just see the bad things. And yeah, this was a great opportunity to focus on all the amazing stuff going on around our country. 
Yeah. And I'll give one last shout out to Hayes, Kansas. <laughs> they were, they were my favorite. They were the one that I thought, okay, um, this is a, you know, this is my strong town. Uh, just be, simply because I know all the stuff they're doing and all the work they're doing uh, to make their place, um, you know, a lot stronger. And, and I realized why they didn't win. I mean, they barely lost in the first round and I, I don't know mm-hmm. if they would have gotten to the final four after that, maybe, but um you know, you, you you look at all of these cities, all sixteen. Fargo was another one that I'm intimately familiar with. That I thought, oh wow, this is a this is a great place. And they lost the closest race in that first round. Yeah, um, yeah, really. You know, all sixteen of these places were had had a lot of things about them to really like. Yeah, thanks everyone for participating. So uh, I wanted to start a new quick segment on this week ahead podcast, which is to share what our biggest social media, um, post was from the week, which post had the most clicks, the most comments, the most reshares. Um, that one, interestingly to me, it was a post from the Seattle transit blog called we're losing character in single family zones. And it was about basically the need for bringing back neighborhood corner stores and re like adjusting zoning and things like that to allow for those again. So yeah, I found that I'm, I'm glad people really were interested in that idea. Um, and it was a, a good article over at the Seattle transit blog. Did you have a chance to read that Chuck? Yeah. It's so fascinating too, because you know, th- th- this is an issue where I think most people in like the theoretical uh, are, are good with it. I mean, you, you can say, you know, should we have small businesses? Yes. Should we have neighborhood stores? Yes. Um, but then when it gets down to like actually doing it, um, you, you, you get this weird reaction of people when it's in their neighborhood, right? When it's up mm-hmm. the street from them, it, it's a little bit like you see, you know, people are for green, you know, clean energy, but they don't want the solar panels near them or they don't want the windmill near them, you know? Um, Right. It's a, it's a little bit of that. And I, I was very sympathetic to the notion that neighborhoods are this mixture of housing and commercial. They're, they're, they're a mixture of things at scale, um, you know, happening on a daily basis. And, and when you try to insulate yourself from that mixture, you get places that are really sterile and do, do lack character. Uh, and, and yeah, I thought it was, I, I was glad to see it was one of the top shares we did last week because it was definitely worthy of that level of conversation. Yeah. It's interesting to me because, um, when I think about the lower income neighborhoods that I've spent time in through, through work and just, you know, passing through them, um, a lot of them have corner stores. Um, there's definitely a stereotype of corner stores as being like the place where you get liquor and cigarettes, um, right, right. which plenty of them do have. But there's no denying that that's still a neighborhood amenity. And, and yeah, we, we need to have more substantial grocery stores in those neighborhoods as well so that people have access to fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that. But the value of the corner store is undeniable in low-income or high-income neighborhoods. It's really fascinating. I heard Andres Duani probably a decade ago now talking about park fees and, you know, many, many states here in, in Minnesota, we have this cities are allowed to charge a, a park dedication fee when people do a new development. So essentially it's 
of the pre-developed lot. So if you have a, a million dollar piece of property, your park dedication fee is $100,000. And people are able to, as part of this process, dedicate land set aside for a park or what have you in, in lieu of the money. And this is all very, you know, green um, belt kind of, you know, greenfield kind of development mentality. And what Dwani said was, you know, why do we require this, particularly in urban areas when you have redevelopment going on and people are trying to put these park dedication fees in? Why don't we go to those places and say, instead of building a park, why don't you put in a corner store? You know, actually like, you know, have the store, um, but use that money so that the person who's there doesn't essentially have to pay to own it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he, he said, you know, give it to them rent free to run a store there. And idea. yeah. And, 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 and then you would actually be building an amenity. You know, if you, you go out to a suburb somewhere and they want the little park, you know, with kind of the plastic stuff to play on, but you go in a city and you've got parks. I mean, you've got uh, things going on. You, you don't need more parkland. What you need is a, a corner store. You need more like amenities. Why don't we seed some of these things instead? And, and I actually, that kind of stuck with me as being, you know, a way to repurpose our, our regulatory mindset into something that would be a lot more productive. Yeah. Well said. I actually have a really cool corner store that's just a block from my house. It's like this old, like, I think it's like a Polish deli, but it's now clearly run by an Indian family. Um, and it's a pretty expansive corner store. They have like a deli counter in the back where you can get sandwiches made. Um, weirdly, they have an old Atari, like, video game thing that you can play while you're waiting no for way. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, and they have you know, all the normal like staples, soup and rice and beans and stuff like that, uh, and drinks and whatnot. But, uh, that's a really cool thing to have down the street from me. We, uh, we have one essentially neighborhood grocery store left in town and it, it, it just happens to be in the, in the poorest neighborhood too. And it's, it's very interesting because it's one of these relics that has been around for a, a long, long time. When I was a kid, uh, the first two years of my life, which I don't remember, but I, the house that my family lived in was right across the street from this place. And so we would go back, even when we moved out, we would go back and trick or treat there every year. So I, I kind of developed a little bit of infinity for this place and it, it, it survives mostly because the family has owned it for so long. There's really no overhead in running it. And I've often wondered like what the succession plan is for that. Uh, most of the people in the neighborhood do wind up walking to the, it's a poorer neighborhood. They wind up walking to the big box grocery store, which is about two miles away and actually see, you know, outside my office window, that's the street that they, they go back and forth on. Um, and it's the one I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that they're redoing now without any sidewalk, you know, there's no sidewalks there now. It's fast traffic. It's just a terrible strode. And they're basically putting the strode back, um, oh. kind of as is. And it's very sad, but yeah, that, that corner store, I think we've done so many things here to disregard it, you know, like eliminate parking on the street and, you know, widen out the street in front of it and make the cars go quicker, remove the sidewalks, all these like subtle little things that, that kill it, yet it survives. 
and it survives because it has low overhead and it serves, you know, a, a need in the community for people that are there. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think we, I think if we changed our mindset and said, how do we make this corner store more successful? <laughs> you would be doing things like putting the trees back, you know, putting the sidewalks in, slowing down the vehicles. And I think that place could be really, really successful and a, a lot more like them. Mm, yeah. Uh, Chuck, what have you been reading or podcasting lately? That's a good question. You know, I, I um, <laughs> Josh McCarty, uh, Urban 3, I spent some time with him and, and Joe a couple of weeks ago. And Josh kept giving me quotes from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And so I, I finally was like, okay, I will get it. I will, I will, I will, I will listen to it. Um, I got it on Audible and it's really fascinating because, you know, when they read these fictional books on Audible, the, the, the people who are reading them, you know, it, they're like performing. It's like a play. I mean, they're actually use voices and, and, you know, very, um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like theater in a sense. And so I've been enjoying that. It's been pretty good. I also downloaded last week um, two Jane Jacobs books to my Kindle and then grabbed two other ones off the shelf because in May we're going to be doing a, kind of a deeper look at Jane Jacobs. And I wanted to be able to uh, do some direct quotes. You know, Jane Jacobs planners often kind of fetish Jane Jacobs in terms of you know, mm-hmm. walkable communities and mixed use development and all those things. And, and I think that's all great. But when, when I first read Jane Jacobs, to me, it was all the economics. I mean, I, I'm, I'm reading her like being critical of federal reserve policy and talking about, uh, you know, essentially things that are strong towns. I mean, how do we make good mm-hmm. investments? What's, what's the value of a park to the surrounding community? Uh, you know, all of these things were, were like formational things for strong towns for me. And so I'm, I'm going to go back through them and pull out some good quotes and some context. And then in May, at some point, we're going to have a conversation about Jane Jacobs and her, uh, you know, I think kind of obsession or, or central, the central nature of her conversation with Strong Town's kind of economics. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our, um, that's one of our May topic focused weeks. And actually next week we are doing another sort of campaign topic week where we'll be talking all about strong citizens. Um, so that'll be on our website. And we also have a great lineup of at least five different podcasts. I think if they all come through, so, um, look forward to that next week for sure. Yeah. Next week's going to be great. If you, um, we're talking a little bit about personal resiliency. I, I, should I, should I preview a couple of these? Because I'm recording one here yeah, as soon as we get done. I mean, people have been begging for a long time for me to talk to Mr. Money Mustache. And today I will be interviewing Mr. Money Mustache and that will run. Uh, I think we're going to run that one next Monday as the kickoff to our uh, strong citizens week. Uh, later mm-hmm. on in the week, I'm going to be interviewing a guy named Chris Martinson. Many of our listeners might know him from the crash course. Uh, he runs a website called peakprosperity.com. He's a, a former CFO of a Fortune 500 country, company who essentially said, I'm going to, uh, I think this is all unsustainable and crazy, and I'm going to kind of right scale my life before everything crashes. And the stuff that he's done has been really incredible. So I'm going to be interviewing him on Wednesday, and, and that's another one that's 
you know, been in the works for quite a long time. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And we have several others. So, uh, tune in next week for sure. Uh, all right, everyone. Well, have a great week and take care. Take care, everybody. Thank you. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.